0: Merry Christmas. Hello. Hi. I get to be the buzzkill. Stop having fun. Sit down. Hello. I normally am a lot more fun than this. My name's Craig, and uh, it's a joy to be with you this morning. I can think, I can think of no greater joy in life than leaving behind. That which no longer serves you. i Even just saying it, I'm like, oh, just a sense of relief washes over me. You know, there's this old phrase, what done brought you to the party ain't what keeps you at the party. No, 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 no. You know that. You know that. Well, you're welcome. You're welcome. That is not a New England thing. No, no, no. That's just a human thing. What brought you to the party and what keeps you at the party? Sometimes we get stuck in trying to do things and we work really hard to make it work and it's just not working and sometimes it's freeing to be like, that's not working and we have a necessary ending, but goodbye. This m- This morning, we're going to start a five-week series, so this is part one, where I'm going to talk about necessary endings, where we're saying there is something that no longer serves us, it's frustrating us, therefore... Let's say goodbye. Let's just stop doing it. What is it? It's controlling our circumstances. You know it doesn't work, but we try. We try so hard. If we can just change our circumstances, all these other things will be easier. I had friends coming in from California. I was so excited to be with them. They're some of my favorite people. got get COVID. Like it's 2021. Gosh. I get really behind. I get better from COVID. Woo. Uh, I try to get back to work. I'm like, man, I'm just going to work from home because people around here are very distracting. So I'm just going to lock myself at home. I'm going to get a lot of work done. And then I lock myself in an office. And then I hear, boom, boom, dad, boom, boom, dad, Lego, Lego, Lego. You can try to control your circumstances, and when it doesn't go your way, you can keep trying to control your circumstances, or we can just admit, I cannot control my circumstances. What can I control then? This holiday season, I want you together, try to just do one thing. We've got one job this holiday season. You had one job, this is it. So in the midst of you're you're decorating lights you're making cookies you're going to holiday parties you're driving seven and a half hours to visit in-laws you've got one job in all that what is that one job? I think the invitation this holiday season for all of us as a church family is to create spiritual yoga for people in our lives. See you next week spiritual yoga. What in the world is that? Well, it was a, an, a sensation that took Pinterest by storm about three years ago. Yoga is a Danish or like a Scandinavian practice in the dead of winter, right? All you, all you Midwesterners, you're all like, oh, I love the four seasons. It's so great. I do not. I grew up in New England and like winter is great, but it should be over December 26th. But it's not, and it's just miserable till about June. It's just like all, a lot of snow. There. Then it gets black, and it's awful. It's dirty. It's terrible. That's what the Scandinavians know. They live in this miserable part of the earth that just has a long winter. Yeah, they get the aurora borealis, and that's lovely, but you don't live there. It's awful. So they have learned to cultivate peace and harmony and rest. It's called yoga. What's hygge? It's like this. Look at this. Look at how lovely this is, right? Don't you feel so cozy around this? Do you know how heavy this was and hard it was to get in here? But it's totally worth it because it creates this sense of cozy, warmth. That's hygge. If you look it up on Instagram, it's basically like people wearing thick socks, drinking hot chocolate by a fireplace like this, and just feeling great. What if we could create spiritual hygge for people in our lives? What if no matter what's happening in the circumstances, whatever's happening around us, we can demonstrate peace. That's what this is all about, peace. Regardless of who mentions Trump first around the dinner table. Hi. Regardless, we can experience and cultivate peace no matter what's happening around us. Remember, we're not going to try to change the circumstances. It's a fool's errand. But we are going to work to demonstrate tangible expressions of peace. we got to demystify peace. Right? We, we tend to think, like, oh, peace, that's just something some of us are born with. I was not one of those people? No, no, no. Anyone can experience peace. That's our job this holiday season. To de mystify peace for the people we love around us. There's five ways I've come up with that I think we can tangibly do this. Today, we're going to be talking about way number one. You want all your money's worth, you got to keep coming back. Way number one, that we can demystify peace, that we we can demonstrate peace for the people around us. Way number one, is through remembering. Now, remembering is great, but there's a there's a remembering has a wicked step sister who looks a lot like remembering, but she's very dangerous. Nostalgia. We gotta separate those two things a little bit. And again, I. I we were. I work with Buddy the Elf. Like, November 20-something rolls around and Luke just all of a sudden just becomes so happy about the smallest things. Like, wait, well, you don't love this? You've never seen that movie? I'm like, no, I, I've seen it a thousand times. And so I look like Scrooge. And I, I've gotten this reputation around here as being like kind of anti-Christmas and bah humbug. And I just, I reject that so, we're going to be talking about Christmas today, and we're going to, I'm going to be talking about the dangers of nostalgia. And I don't want you to, for a second, think that I'm up here judging you for watching Home Alone. I don't want you to feel bad that you like—you listen to the same songs a million times. Google Phil Spector, though. That's all I ask. He's a famous music producer who made a bunch of Christmas songs you love, and he was a terrible person. But anyway, I, I don't want you to feel... I don't want you to feel bad about those things at all, okay? This is a lot like coffee. Oh, I didn't think about religious people talking about caffeine as like kind of slippery. But caffeine is a drug, It's the world's most consumed drug ever. And it's totally fine that you consume it, okay? It keeps you up. And caffeine is a drug and it keeps you up. Nostalgia is fine and great and has a place. All right? The warmth we feel when we see those like vintage Christmas lights from like the 70s probably gave us cancer. The warmth that we feel at that, I am not, there's no judgment on that. That's good and wonderful. Nostalgia can have so many good positive benefits. And it's a drug. And we gotta talk about some of the dangers of nostalgia. So we're gonna talk about. We can create spiritual yoga. We can create peace. We can demonstrate what it looks like. We can move peace from our heads to our hearts and from our hearts to our hands this holiday season. We can give people tangible expressions of what it looks like to have peace. We've got to talk about these twin ways: remembering versus nostalgia. So if you have your Bible, please turn with me to Romans chapter 5. That's not a Christmas passage, Craig. We are in Romans chapter 5 because Romans chapter 5 is the culmination of what the Christmas story points to. Romans chapter 5. The reason that the angels can say to the shepherds, fear not, I bring you good news of great joy, is Romans chapter 5 is coming, and they know that. The reason that the angel can say to Mary, don't be afraid is because Romans chapter 5 is coming. We're going to look, look at Christmas through the lens of Romans chapter 5. And there's three things that Paul is inviting us to remember. He's not inviting us to change our circumstances. He's inviting us to remember three things that will change everything. Romans chapter 5. If you would, please stand with me as we read God's word. Romans chapter 5. Verses 1 through 5. Therefore, since we have been justified, since we've been made right, since we have been said we're okay, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our suffering because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character, hope. Hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. This is the word of the Lord. Hey Lord, as we talk about peace, as we talk about the holidays, we know that this is not a peaceful time for a lot of folks. And we know families are estranged. We know people are alone. And God, those of us who may enjoy this holiday season, we know there are things that threaten our peace. God, help us to remember. Help us to be aware as we remember the temptation to nostalgia. But God, help us to remember what you say about who we are so that we're not a victim of our circumstances. I ask all these things in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. Amen. You can have a seat. You can have a seat. Well, I'm saying we're not at the mercy of our circumstances. And there is something we can do. There's something we can do. There's five things we can do so that no matter what's happening around us, we can create peace. We can demonstrate peace. And in doing so, you're going to discover the rest of Christmas. See what I did there? See what I did there? The series is called The Rest of Christmas, Rest, Peace. Ah, I went to college. When we demonstrate peace, we help people see what Christmas kicks off. And we have to remember this, though. And the reason we have to remember is because we're so forgetful. We are forgetful people. We define our lives by the circumstances around us rather than what God says about who we are. So Paul gives us three things that we need to remember. Thing number one, look at verse one again. Therefore, we have been justified through faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. What's the first thing we need to remember that we can cultivate peace? We have peace with God. God's not mad at you. God's not looking for you to punish you. God's not angry with you. We have peace with God. How do you get peace with God? Notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say, therefore, since we've been made right through baptism. Therefore, since we've been made right through giving lots of money at a year-end giving campaign for a church. Therefore, since we've been made right through good behavior. Therefore, since we've been made right by being the type of person God blesses. It doesn't say any of that says, therefore, having been made right through faith, when we believe, when we trust, when we respond to the good news with faith, that gives us peace with God. What can you do to know that you have peace with God? Believe. Trust. The moment you trust, you've been set right I really regret that the NIV uses the word justified. We don't use that in our everyday language. Right? Did anyone watch the SpaceX explosion the other day? They experienced a spontaneous coming apart. I thought it just exploded. Why can't we just say, hey, your relationship with God is set right. That's what that means. Your relationship with God is good. Why? Faith. And as a result of that faith, you have peace with God. What does peace mean? What does it mean to have peace with God? The idea of peace has this idea of wholeness, that things are right, they're back together. There's harmony, there's oneness, there's connection. If we're going to be people who demonstrate peace, we have to remember our identity. Our identity is an identity of someone who has peace peace with God. When life flies off the rails, it is not because God is mad at us or punishing us. We have peace with God. Why is life flying off the rails? It's because God respects human agency. People make decisions that create chaos, and we get to live with those decisions. You and I make decisions that create chaos. We forget we have peace, and then we act like we don't have peace, and that can create chaos. So we have to remember, remembering who we are. We have peace with God. That's the first thing Paul invites us to remember. If we're going to be people who demonstrate peace, we've got to know we're people of peace. That's just who we are. Look, I don't make the rules. This is a very frustrating thing in my life. My wife is one of the most creative people I know. It's insanely frustrating. You're like, isn't that cool? Yeah, it's cool. And it's really frustrating. The other night, we, I have this hat. My favorite hat. And we both sat down to draw it. And I drew it, and she drew it, and we weren't looking at each other. And then we showed each other our drawings. Mine looked like a child was trying to draw on a roller coaster with a magic marker. Hers is hanging in my office. So I have, over the years, taken several art classes. I've taken about eight art classes, but only like the first class of these eight art classes. Because I inevitably get to this very frustrating point in an art class. This is a real art class. I'm, what I'm about to say, people pay money. I didn't. I had a like a Groupon. Uh, it wasn't. I I should have paid for it. But anyway, uh, I had a, a paid online art class. Someone paid money to get this advice. This is the very first class. They're, okay, take your subject. All right, so you have a picture of your subject. Got it. This is right after they gave you a pencil. Right. There's your subject. Okay. Now once you've drawn your subject's face, I was like, what? What? Once I've drawn my subject's face, if I could draw my subject's face, why did I take your class? So frustrating. And that was every single art class. I was like, okay, so just draw these buildings. I'm like, well, no, why am I in this class? Finally, I take an art class. And this guy says this: there's only one way to learn to draw. Draw. And a light bulb went off. I was like, wait, what? He's like, yeah. If you want to be someone who takes the world you see and puts it in lines on a piece of paper, the only way to learn to do that is by doing that. If you want to be a person of peace, someone who creates peace, who demonstrates peace to the people around them, you've got to create peace. It's the only way to do it. You can theorize about peace till the cows come home. It's not going to create peace. You've got to step out and do it. You've got to create peace. And what's step one of doing that? Identity. Why can we do that? I have peace with God. I'm loved. He's not looking for me to to fight. He wants to bless me. I have peace with God. Peace is something that all the Old Testament prophets believed. Peace happens and then the world ends. What does that mean? They thought God sets things right and then we enter eternity. Peace was the culminating act of creation. That's why the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 9 says this about the coming Messiah. They will call his name, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Prince of Peace. Why? He's going to set everything right. Therefore, since we have been made right with God, we have peace with God. That's who you are. It's an identity. That identity comes with some privileges. Look with me at verse two. This is the second thing we need to remember. Romans 5, two. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace we now stand. What's the the first thing we need to remember? We have peace with God. That's who we are. What's the second thing we need to remember? We have access to grace. That idea of access has two kind of meanings. The word access was used in the ancient world to describe war. And when a city was under siege, it had no access to food and resources. That's pretty terrible. But when the siege opens up, now they have access. Well, what do we have access to? Grace. The word access, though, not only, it wasn't just like a military word. It was also used to describe privilege, to describe children of royalty who have things we don't have. I got sick, so I watched a lot of JFK conspiracy videos. I have thoughts. One of the things I'm always struck by, by the life of JFK, is JFK Jr. So beautiful to see a president sitting in the Oval Office, and he's talking with foreign dignitaries, and who's at his feet? This little kid in, like, this sailor outfit playing with toys. JFK Jr. had access to one of the most powerful men in the world. Like it was no big deal. You and I have that access to God. We have peace with God. Now we have this amazing access. You are a child of privilege. It's another identity thing. I love all the kids here at Compass. I love all the Compass kids. But I don't want to stop working in my day to day to hang out with your kids. Right? That would be weird. And I just, there's nothing in me that wants to, like, oh, you know what? I won't work today. I'll go to the park and hang out with your kids. I don't want to do that. But there are three kids that I do want to do that with. They have my last name. Oh, and those kids get away with murder, murder. I mean, like, I'm like, oh my gosh, my parents would never let me do this, but I'm like, I'm like paying for this. This is crazy because they have access and I'm desperately trying to be the fun parent. You and I have access to God, but listen carefully to what it says. It doesn't just say access to God. Look again at verse two. What does it say? We have gained access by faith into what? Grace. we have got to point out what grace is. The Greek word for grace is charis, and the Greek word for joy is charin. And if you look up the, the greatest defin, uh, lexicon, the Greek lexicon that all New Testament scholars use, it's called Bauer's Lexicon. There's a, there's a subject line under the words that says that these two words, grace and joy, are virtually indistinguishable. We don't know the difference between them. What does that mean? If you have access to God's grace, you experience his unmerited favor. What is favor? Joy. If I favor something, I delight in it more. When you have access to God, you have access to his joy and delight. So there's two things to remember. Thing number one, we have peace. Thing number two, we have access. And then we need to not forget this. What does this give us? Hope. Looking at the end of verse two, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Skip ahead to verse 5. Hope does not put us to shame. You will not be embarrassed by trusting and believing these promises. It's not going to disappoint you. It's going to cultivate hope. You're not going to be made a fool for like really owning this, for really believing this. It's like, oh, I would believe this. Oh, not, what if it's not true? I'm going to get embarrassed. Those who hope in the Lord... Will not be put to shame. These are the three things Paul is inviting us to remember. The problem: we are way too forgetful, way too forgetful. uh, Think of your job, whatever you do. You're an accountant, and you work at this accounting firm, and you work really hard. Imagine someone comes up to you, someone from corporate, and they're just visiting the office, like, "Man, hey, what's your name, Linda? Linda, I've been watching you all day, Linda." You are way better than everybody else in this office. Like they're a bunch of clowns. Like we watch you and we're like, man, everybody needs to be like Linda. Linda's the best accountant we've ever seen. We really think you represent our company well. He walks away. That feeling you feel like, holy cow. Somebody noticed. I'm pretty good at accounting. I am pretty good at accounting. I've been doing this for years. This is great. How long does that last? 30, 40 seconds? We're just, we're just, whoop, on to the next thing. We have peace with God. We have access to his delight and joy. That access will never put us to shame. We'll never be like, oh, I trusted this and I look like a fool. Never. We have hope. And then it's on to the next thing. We forget. We need to be intentional. We need to really work hard to remember. That's why the practice of remembering... The the biblical authors, how many times again and again do they say, remember, remember, put this on the forefront of your mind, write it on your house, like get a tattoo, just remember this. We forget. So the practice of remembering is a daily practice we can do this holiday season, and it will help move peace from our head to our hearts. This practice of remembering, it's a few steps. Step number one, it's not going to sound very spiritual. If you're a very spiritual person, you're like, oh, I really like these things to sound... Spiritual. This one's not going to sound spiritual right up front. Step number one, how do we remember that we have peace? Step one, remember an experience that gave you peace. Know that doesn't sound very spiritual, but hang in there for a second. What gave you peace? Maybe it was a sunset. I had a friend who had an apartment in Malibu who you could watch the sunrise and the sunset from the same window over the ocean. I think back on that, I'm like, peace. There was a time when Amy and I first got married and we had, I had no, well, we were about to have jet, so we've been married for a little while. I had no job. I was panicking and I'm sitting by a river and I just start to cry. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm a person who brings children into the world and I have no income and they're going to be a mess, I'm going to be a mess, this is terrible, what do I do? I'm just weeping. I go back to the place we're staying, and there's a message on my phone that says, Hey, Craig, we didn't know you were in town. We'd love to hire you. Peace. Think back to a situation that gave you peace. Maybe it was a sunset, something as simple as that, a beautiful, a walk on the MKD Trail where you're just like, all is good. Maybe it was getting a job. Maybe it was the birth of a child. Maybe the birth of a grandchild. Think of a situation that gave you peace. Step one. You with me? I can be alone. That's fine. Step two. Step two, locate that feeling of peace in your body. Where did you feel the peace in your body? It's not a mistake that you have a body. God gave you a body for a reason. Your body tells the truth. Where did you feel that peace in your body? Was it in your chest? Was it just this release and this warmth? Maybe it was in your stomach. You could feel an ulcer closing. You can't feel ulcers closing. Where did you feel it in your body? That relief, that peace. Step one, remember something that gave you peace. Step two, locate it in your body. Was it just the release of stress? Okay. Step three, ask, what does this tell me about God? If a sunset created a feeling of warmth and peace, and I am someone who has peace with God, what does this experience shadow? What is it sampling? What does it tell me about God's peace with me? If Jesus is the Prince of Peace, that's a key identifying feature. If Paul wants us to know we have peace with God, and I think back on a situation in my life where I felt peace, what does that tell me about God? Man, maybe I've been making too small a deal about this peace thing. Maybe if a sunset can just feel like the world is all right, what does being made right with God, what should that feel like? If a sunset feels great, what does being set right with God feel like? That probably feels really great. And you start to move on the most difficult journey of your life. From your head to your heart, I believe I have peace with God. Well, do you feel it? It's not about feeling; it's about believing. I was on a New York City subway once, and a man run, ran onto the train, uh, throwing a bag around, just like tossing it. And I don't remember anything that he heard. I just remember someone yelling "bomb," and uh, I had feelings. I'm fine. Thank you for your concern. Our feelings follow what we believe. And if we really believe we have peace with God, that's going to show up somewhere in your body. And if it starts to show up in your body, it can show up in your life. And the good news, the good news about peace and remembering is it's way better than nostalgia. Nostalgia is is good and fine. I'm not anti-nostalgia. I was reading Macaulay Culkin's Wikipedia page this morning. Okay, I'm getting ready. But the problem with nostalgia, the problem with nostalgia is it makes us long for a day that never actually existed. All right, all you 90s kids in here, I love the 90s. Give me my 90s Nickelodeon. Nine, the 90s are so great. They're so great. Why don't you try to relive the 90s? Why don't you wait at a bus stop without a phone? All right, look at the trees. Look at your shoes. That was the 90s. All right, you can't, you can't entertain yourself like you can today. But I love the 90s. Well, they weren't as great as you remember. It's a cognitive bias. You know you survived this thing, so you look back on the past and you're like, man, that was so great. So great. We're in decline now, but if only we could be like the 90s. The 90s were fantastic. I'm not knocking the 90s. They were also the zenith of the culture war. When Christians were like, let's just go to war with the culture and we'll see what happens. Remember the whole, like, keep Christ in Christmas thing? That started in the 90s. I didn't get us very far. Right? We started this battle. See, here's the thing. Nostalgia makes you long for a day that was never there. It can also create a lot of shame. Man, I'm not doing it right. The circumstances around me, no one else is doing it right. You know who was doing it right? Those folks way back there. So we got to get way back there. I have news for you. December 25th has never been a peaceful holiday, ever, ever. If you think it was, like, man, we just got to get back to like, remember when we all agreed that December 25th was Jesus' birthday and we all agreed we were doing the same thing, like we're celebrating Jesus' birthday and everybody could say Merry Christmas and you never offended anybody? I want to go back to those days. They never existed. Ever since the fourth century, when the church decided, let's remember Christ's birth on December 25th, Ever since that decision was made, a battle has been ensuing since then. Why? Because the church tried to blend two things that don't go together. The reason that Christmas is celebrated on December 25th is not because anybody believes Jesus was born on December 25th. I hope I didn't create like a crisis of faith for anyone. We have no idea when Jesus was born. Could have been born in September, could have been born in July. Who knows? But we just said December 25th. Why? Because there already were a bunch of holidays being celebrated on December 25th. We're like, this is great. We'll just kind of blend the holidays, these winter solstice holidays that are happening. We'll just blend those with Christianity, and bada bing, bada boom, we got this really cool holiday. Wrong! We got a battle! Oh boy. Yule logs, candles, holly, mistletoe, and Christmas trees are all pagan symbols from the winter solstice holidays. They have nothing to do with Christianity. Again, I, at this point, I hope it goes without saying, but I just want to be crystal clear. You are not doing anything wrong if you have mistletoe. Well, mistletoe is a bad example. Keep it, keep it, keep it Christian. There's nothing wrong with candles, nothing wrong with yule logs, nothing wrong with a tree. All right, all totally great, but it has nothing to do with Jesus' birth. And again, that's not wrong. I'm not knocking that. But did you ever wonder, you're like, Jesus is born. Oh, great. I'll be right back. I'm going to cut down a tree and put it in our living room. Why? Don't worry about it. And I've heard the arguments, people be like, no, the candles are like, you know, like the light of the world. That was like a later, like, let's spiritualize this. And it's fine, it's fine, but let's not kid ourselves. There has always been a battle for Christmas. You don't believe me yet. Here's what the Puritans, I mean, not our favorite people. Uh, Some of them, they were like, they could have used a little piece. Uh, but here's what they said about Christmas. If God had intended anniversary, the anniversary of the nativity to be observed, he would have surely given some indication as to when it occurred. They keep going. Men dishonor Christ more in the 12 days of Christmas than in all the 12 months beside. Why? Because, well, we'll just keep reading from the Puritans. The feast of Christ's of nativity, this is cotton matter, is spent in reveling, carting, dicing, masking. Must have been a COVID guy. And all licentious liberty by hard drinking, by lewd gambling. And then Henry Byrne just kind of really clearly articulates it. The behavior of common people at Christmas is a scandal to religion and an encouraging of wickedness, merely a pretense for drunkenness, rioting, that's wild, and wantonness, which is an old English word for sex. Here's what happened. Uh, rich people went, did not go without in the holiday season, d- December. Poor people did, right? If you're in an agrarian society, there, you can't plant crops, you can't harvest crops. But if you're rich, you have a cow, you can kill the cow, it can stay outside, and you can eat it. So the poor people are like, hey, we don't have a lot, they have a lot, let's riot. And people let that go on because it's like, well, if they riot now, we don't have to deal with them later. And so it was kind of like a safety valve, like, pfft, like just let let the steam off, let it go, and we'll be able to just, we'll get through Christmas. Some of this still carries on till today, right? The reason you feel bad, because you don't leave a big tip Right? You're not gonna have goodwill the rest of the year, like, oh, if if like you get a haircut on December 16th and you don't leave a massive tip, they're gonna be like, cheap, there's some kind of scrooge. It's all carryover from some of this stuff. Right? You all do that, right? You all leave tips. Am I the only one that's getting ripped off at this time of year? Why do I point all this out? Because nostalgia is a cheap counterfeit for remembering. And we have an especially Difficult time at Christmas, recognizing the temptation for nostalgia. And then we, we, we feel the brokenness. Nostalgia can't get us very far. can't hold up to the pressure of life. And they're like, probably remembering can't do that either. But no, no you got to separate. Nostalgia is fine. It's great. I have candles at my house. It's a drug. Remembering, though, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work to remind yourself who you are. But it can hold up. It can hold up to the pressures of life. Christmas isn't a happy time of year for everybody. I want, I want just, you just to imagine my friend Jana with me for a little bit. Uh, Jana's grandmother was like the queen of Christmas. She was super good at celebrating the holiday. She was very thoughtful about it. She was the kind of grandma who like, had all the coolest decorations. She gave away PlayStation games. Like, that is a cool grandparent. Every year, it was super exciting to go to grandma's house because we're just going how to see how's grandma doing Christmas this year. Jana's grandma passed away at the beginning of December. Really hard. That first Christmas, nobody in Jana's family is looking forward to it. There's a, Her presence, her absence, grandma's absence is felt so deeply. Nobody's looking forward to it. December 25th rolls along. We're all sitting around the table. There's an empty seat. The joy, the peace, it's gone. Nobody's talking. Just wondering what this day could have been. What are you going to say in that point, right? Are you going to say something like it's going to help? No. You're just sitting with a grieving family. But someone did say something. Grandpa chimed in and said... I'm really glad, really glad I'm not the only one grieving grandma's loss this year. I'm really glad you're with me, really glad I'm not alone. And the holiday changed. You can create spiritual yoga, you can demonstrate tangible ways that people around you can experience peace. We are not victims of our circumstance. Regardless of what's happening around us, we can be people of peace because we are people of peace. The question you get to ask is, what kind of memories do I want to look back on next Christmas? Next year, when I'm, in 2024, I'm looking back at 2023, do I want to say, hey, I survived, yay. You know, I didn't make eye contact when my uncle started asking me about Palestine. Or, you want to be like, hey, I was thrust into awkward situations and I was different. I got to see peace change my family. That's the invitation. Way one is through remembering. If you want way two, three, four, and five, you got to come back next week. Jesus, how quick we are to forget. God, help us not to make peace a small thing. God, we worship the Prince of Peace and we have access to your delight. We will not be ashamed when we put all our hope in this peace. I ask all these things in Jesus' name. This podcast is part of the ministry of Compass Church in Columbia, Missouri. For more information, please check out compasscfc.com.